What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favalli, and today we're going to be talking about a bit of a weird topic. Dan is currently working on an article about how much better Michael Jordan's career could have been if he hadn't retired, because you know he retired twice, once in the middle of the two three-peats, and again before he joined the Washington Wizards. It's a weird thing to think about, because this is already the guy that most people call the best basketball player of all time, had the greatest career of all time, and it could have been better. Yeah, and I don't actually think it's it doesn't get talked about enough. I don't think, or maybe we sort of missed the cutoff uh, for when it was talked about back, perhaps in the early and mid two thousands. But he really left probably four to five prime seasons on the table because he missed uh, an entire one when he played baseball, and then he missed almost all of that following. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. One, he appeared in just six, uh, excuse me, 17 games in 94-95. And then after he won his sixth title, he took three years off before going to the Wizards, and I think you could have reasonably assumed we would have seen close to peak Jordan for at least two of those years. And it's sort of crazy to think about, but all the data that we look at and your metric total points added is a godsend when looking at this stuff, shows that each time he left, he was still the best player in the NBA, pretty much. And you have to think, given all the time he missed, that he left probably two to three titles on the table at least, and that's incredibly absurd. Oh, it's absolutely crazy to think about, especially because you said that that second retirement came while he was still in his prime, and it did even though that was his age 34 season. I mean, this guy was still that good 
during the 1997-98 uh, season. I mean, you, you mentioned the, uh, the total points metric that I've been working with lately. And essentially what that does is it takes box plus minus numbers and converts them into, uh, into an overall look at the season based on how much time they spent on the court and how much better they were uh, than an average player on a per-possession basis. And even during that 1998 season, Michael Jordan was a top 10 player, according to TPA, which is insane. So yeah, it was part of his prime, even if he wasn't at the absolute top of the league then, which means that if he'd continued on into his late 30s before coming back with the Wizards, we're still looking at so much more production. Right, and I think two things that blew my mind, even though they were pretty simple stats, um, in that final year, his final year in Chicago, 97-98, and it's so confusing to say all these things because of just how jagged his career arc is with like, oh, he left and then came back this year, that year. But anyway, in his final year with Chicago, 97-98, he was one of only three players to have a true shooting percentage better than 50 and a usage rate higher than 30. And one of the other players was Shaquille O'Neal, who was so much younger than Jordan at the time. And you also had Karl Malone there, but he's still putting himself in that company. And then he takes three years off, goes back to a Washington Wizards team after not playing basketball for three years at the age of 38, and he ranks in the top 20 of player efficiency rating. Is, is that not crazy? Like, this guy, I, I do have some doubts about how his play style w would have done in today's NBA just because of that mid-range heavy shot selection, but Michael Jordan was not human. You just look at the way he played even when he was older and even in Washington, I think you could have made a case that at least for that first season in Washington, he probably still would have been a top 25 superstar or star or whatever you want to call it. And it, it really just amazes me almost to the point where it saddens me that man, we really didn't get to see everything Jordan could have done because of that time that he missed in, in his little retirement stints. I wish he would have you know, stuck around definitely that first time and definitely for sure again that second time. Yeah, and I have to believe too that he would have been able to adjust. And I actually had this, this debate with Curtis Harris from Pro Hoops History in an article last year when we were looking at how different players would translate to today's game. And given Jordan's work ethic and his desire to be on top and humiliate all opponents, you have to think that he'd be able to fit in with those modern trends because he was such a good mid-range shooter that he probably would be able to add some semblance of a three-point game. But I also want to keep focusing on that TPA stuff from his final season because the two components of that are the offensive side, offensive points added, and the defensive side, defensive points saved. And during the 98 season, he actually graded out as exactly average on defense, which meant that all of his contributions came in the offensive end. He had a 271.31 points, according to this metric. And that was the fourth best score in the entire league that year, behind only Carl Malone, Gary Payton, and Tim Hardaway. You're looking at a 34-year-old who's not that far removed from a first retirement, and he's still doing that. So it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, and I mean, he... He ranked second during those his three full seasons back, uh, 95, 96, 96, 97, 97, 98. He ranked second in uh, combined TPA, only behind Carl Malone. And, and we do have, have to, to throw in the David Robinson caveat, too. Well, yeah, I mean, all right, so David Robinson ranked sixth in this category, even though in 96, 97, he played in six games um, and he added 
uh, basically no points. Like it was, you literally could have used that as a throwaway season. And he still finished sixth in total points added during that three-year span. He was amazeballs. But Jordan ranked second, and it was behind um, Carl Malone. And, and it was by a fairly good amount that he trailed Malone, but it was still less than 100 points, I believe. But it's like you said, he wasn't that far removed from his first retirement. And here's a guy who's also in his mid-30s. I, I know Carl Malone was as well, but Carl Malone didn't take that year off. He wasn't the primary ball carrier the way that Jordan was. He wasn't as explosive as Jordan was at any point in his career. Uh, it, you just look at the entire body of work, and I still find myself, even though Jordan was flat-out crazy before he retired the first time, I still find myself most impressed with what he did after coming back and starting his second NBA career. It, it really still just boggles my mind to this day. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm firmly of the belief that the late 80s were when he was at his best as an individual, even though he couldn't get past that bad boy Detroit Celtics, uh, the Detroit Pistons team, Detroit Celtics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting to think about how good the Bulls would have been if he had remained on that team because the, the next season was that lockout Jordan campaign where they went 13 and 37 and fell way short of the playoffs. And if he'd been there, would it have been enough for them to, to push, to push deep into the playoffs again? It, what year would Scotty Pippen about? have stayed there? Are you talking about after that sixth title? Yeah, I'm talking about 99 here. Uh, my issue with that, um, is that team would have need to have been not even just tweaked, but probably just tore down. You know, maybe Scottie Pippen stays, but you're looking at five of the top six win share leaders on that 98 championship team were 32 or older. Three were 34 or older, and that includes Jordan in both those categories. So if you were to keep that core together, just as Tim Duncan and David Robinson were gearing up for their first title push, I really don't know if it would have sufficed. Perhaps you could have ground out one more year and one more title, but I think you really would have needed to restructure uh, around Jordan. But the fact that you still could have used Jordan as the focal point of a legitimate championship team as he was preparing to turn 35, I mean, that doesn't sound crazy. It should. What 35-year-old would you want to build a championship contender around today? I mean, I guess Tim Duncan being as old as he is, but... To say that Jordan at 35 was a viable cornerstone for a potential dynasty, it's just it's unprecedented almost. So since you just did all the research, I'm curious how many titles you think he would have ended up with because six is like the hallowed benchmark that Kobe Bryant is always striving for and that is thrown out so often in the argument that, that Jordan is the greatest player of all time. So had he never retired, are we looking at seven, eight, nine? We're looking at at least eight. I fully believe that the Bulls would have won once between in 94 and 95, if not both times, stealing those championships from the Rockets. I'm more inclined to think nine because I don't know which team during that two-year span in 94, 95, I don't know what team could have kept pace with the Bulls just based off what they did when Jordan came back. How would anyone have beat them? So you tack on two right there, and then let's say he would have played straight through to his Washington years or just never played in Washington but played an extra two or three additional years do you really think he wouldn't have gotten another title during that time 
I know, I think you and I talked about this before, and I think we were both more inclined to say eight, but I'm, re- I'm really leaning toward nine. I think I would probably lean towards eight because I don't want to guarantee both of the titles during the first retirement, just because then we're talking about an eight, Pete, which is, I can't even process that. But Bill it, Russell might have even acknowledged it. <laughs> yeah, I, it's so it's hard for me to, to commit to both of those. But if you give him like a 60% chance of getting um, the second one in that span and then a 40% chance of, of getting one after the second retirement, then it's going to even out at eight. Yeah, and you, you sort of bring up a point that isn't talked about, I guess. There are one that I didn't make. If you win that many championships in a row, like let's even say – he won in 94 and 95. How would that have impacted Chicago's subsequent championship runs? You're playing longer seasons. Is that same drive there? Uh, I do feel confident in saying at least eight. If he would have played through those years, I would be shocked if he had less than eight championships. I also, I I don't want to disparage the Rockets because they did win the title and they did win in back-to-back fashion, but they weren't exactly the strongest champions we've seen. If you look at the net rating of every single team that's won a title throughout NBA history, uh, they actually the 95 Rockets actually have the fifth lowest net rating at 2.3. It's better than only the 1976 Boston Celtics, 1955 Syracuse Nationals, 1958 St. Louis Hawks, and 1978 Washington Bullets. So it's not, it's definitely not inconceivable that they could have won both of those. Well, and then let's also, couldn't you basically say, if I know we can't look at this in a vacuum because, again, you have the championship fatigue or the championship drive to, to factor in, but in 94, the Bulls were one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals without Jordan. I don't know how you do anything other than guarantee a title that year knowing that much. Yeah, I think I think that's the lock, and it's the next one that that is the bigger question. But I mean, the the other thing that that you really uh, looked at a lot while you were researching this was where he would stand in the uh, the points leaderboard, because he's already so high up there, and Kareem's mark is viewed as all but untouchable. We look at how guys like Kevin Durant and LeBron James and Kobe Bryant might have a chance to get there. Not so much Kobe anymore, but if Jordan had never retired and had played through the end of that that Washington part of his career, he almost certainly would have set the record, right? It's him that they would be chasing. Yeah, and I don't really think that's that's even up for debate because even if you just look at what he could have produced at the bare minimum um, during, during 93-94 had he played and 94-95 had he played the entire season and then the three years leading up to his Washington stint, he would have surpassed Kareem sometime in 2001, 2002. And again, I think that falls on the really conservative end because I don't know. We're talking about prime Jordan during those, you know, season plus that he missed in Chicago. I don't know how many points he would have scored. Like he really could have just, he churned out 2000 point seasons in his sleep. So he could have went for 2,500, 2,750, who knows, and gotten there even quicker. And there would have been an opportunity for him to get there before the turn of the millennium and we would be looking at an even bigger gap. But again, just looking at the benchmarks and you helped me with the progressions and I did it my own more, um, dumb person way. (laughs) And we were within a thousand points of each other and it would, he probably would have gotten there in 2001, 2002. And again, I think that's at the absolute latest. 
Yeah, I think with the regression that I ran, based on everything else he did in his career, we had him at what, like thirty nine thousand one hundred no, or had something. Forty one thousand yeah. plus. And I mean, and I came up with forty thousand plus, and that's just—it's not, you know, that doesn't put a huge gap between him and Kareem. But one, I think it's important to note that there could have been because there's really no way of predicting what Jordan would have done during those two seasons in Chicago. And two, forty thousand plus points is absolutely nuts. And, you know, we look at Kareem's mark now, and I know some people think Durant might break it. I know others think LeBron still has a chance of getting there. And maybe if he focused on scoring throughout the entirety of his career. Can't forget about Chris Stapps now. Yeah, well, I mean, Chris Stapps is going to break it. Like, that's not even that. He's going to hit, I guess, 50,000 might be reasonable. But just think about how unreachable this record would seem if Jordan held it. Oh, I think it would seem like John Stockton's assist record. Where we just yeah. automatically write everyone off. Yeah, I, no one's even going to touch that. And I, I would argue that this could have seemed even steeper just because no one ever truly, except for maybe LeBron James, and we have to remember that scoring has never been his first instinct. No one but Jordan has ever scored this efficiently un, like within such volume. Just the, the shooting percentages he would put up are ridiculous given what his usage rates were and and it's just crazy and we were almost cheated of a really unbreakable record again we look at kareem's benchmark and i don't see durant or james breaking it james would have to enjoy durability for the next you know close to a decade and really just continue to go off which will be hard alongside multiple superstars i don't see either of them breaking it and I honestly think that they should be chasing Jordan. We shouldn't even be talking about this right now. It should be like the Stockton record. Like you said, we just write everybody off automatically. We don't even talk about it. I mean, either way, Tim Duncan is probably breaking it in like 2050. I think that's pretty much a foregone conclusion. I was referring to people who are under the age of 60 in the NBA. Fair enough. But there's actually one more category that Jordan might have surpassed Kareem, and that's MVPs, where Kareem has the all-time record at six. Jordan and Russell are tied for second with five apiece. And voter fatigue played a big factor in Jordan only, and it's crazy that I have to use that word, only getting five. But Funny quotes. Yeah, if you, if you throw in all those other seasons, it again seems almost like a lock that he'd get to at least six. Exactly. And there, were, there was twice. We're not even factoring in seasons where he didn't play. Two times he ranked first in PER and win share rank and didn't even rank in the top two of MVP voting. Are you kidding me? And you, I think you could honestly look at every season he played, maybe not as a rookie, even though he ranked second in PER and win shares during that inaugural season, but if you look in every full season that he played from, let's say, his rookie season to when he finished with the Chicago Bulls in 97-98, there isn't one that you could tell me we would complain about if he had earned MVP honors. Oh, like, absolutely not. He could have been a 10-time MVP and there wouldn't have been fuss or shouldn't have been fuss about it. No, and he probably should have been, but I'm also firmly of the belief that MVP should actually go to the player who's the most valuable and not just the person who has the best storyline or is the new face within the, the class of superstars. So I guess by that by that definition, not the literal one, it's a little bit more understandable. But if you do want to interpret MVP as most valuable player, then it should have been him almost every year. Yeah, I think it's the same argument that we make for LeBron James exactly. today. 
Exactly. And people, it's not even just voters fatigue. I think we recognize that, hey, they don't need this award to know that they're the best player or the most valuable player in the NBA. But when we look back, like, years from now, and we're talking historically, yeah, it does matter. Because how did you pick, just as I still don't know how people voted for Derrick Rose at all in 2010, 2011, I don't understand how you didn't vote for Jordan in first place. And in I was reading this, and I didn't know this, in 89-90, when he again ranked first in Winshare's MPER rank and finished third in MVP voting, there were three people that didn't even put him on the ballot. Which is insane. Is that not ridiculous? We're talking about someone who, in his first year in the NBA, ranked sixth in MVP voting and finished pretty much in the top three every year after that except for his abbreviated seasons and his time with the Wizards. I just want to follow up your Derrick Rose point by looking back at the TPA leaderboard from 2011. And Rose was actually third that year at 336.24. He was behind Chris Paul, 340.61, and LeBron at 498.89. If LeBron hadn't had everybody in the world mad at him for going to Miami and forming the super team, he would have won. I mean, he would have won. But that that sort of... And I think this is a this is a worthy detour. Does the NBA need MVP reform to where there needs to be like it doesn't necessarily have to be objective criteria, but just some sort of criteria, like a definition, something? Yeah, I think so, but I don't know that even that's going to solve the problem because you look at you look at all award voting and it's inherently subjective. I mean, most improved player, for example, you have people who actually think it should go to the guy who gets better. And then you have other guys who think it should go to the player who just plays a lot more minutes and maintains a similar level. Uh, defensive player of the year, you have people who look at blocks, you have people who look at actual value. And it, it's the same in all sports. You know, the, the voting isn't necessarily done as intelligently as it should be, but changing it now is almost disingenuous because it's taking it away from what it's always meant, whatever that may be. I get what you're saying about how you really can't change them and the narratives while we hate them or hate that they shape the year-end award winners, they are important to certain conversations and they give us things to talk about, which is always great. But when you look at situations like these and, and we're talking specifically about Jordan, it really just seems like a shame that he wouldn't be recognized for how valuable he was each year. And I think we might look back and say the same thing about LeBron eventually. Maybe not. I mean, he lost to Kevin Durant, was clearly the winner in 2013, 2014. But I don't think you ever had that winner with Jordan. Even in 96, 97, when Malone won it, and there was that case, it was there. You could see it. It was still just, it was still just bizarre based off what Jordan did. Yeah, I agree. And I actually want to... Uh... To, to talk about LeBron versus Jordan for a minute here because to me maybe the, the craziest thing about all of this is that we look at a guy who's had such a fantastic career like LeBron and we say that he might have a chance to catch Jordan one day if he wins a couple more titles, if he keeps playing at such a high level for another five or however many years. And even then, it's met with a negative response because Jordan is viewed as so untouchable. It's impossible for any player to reach the level that his career hit, despite what LeBron has done already and will continue to do. You throw in a couple more seasons from Jordan, 
and their prime seasons and they're just slightly out of his prime seasons, does that conversation even exist? I mean, we're looking at a guy like LeBron who might go down as the number two of all time and it's no longer even close. Yeah, I actually never thought about that before. And I guess we're assuming a lot of things there. The tricky part would be, would Jordan stay healthy and what would be the drop-off? The hardest part for me is what would be the drop-off after that championship in 1998? But no, that conversation wouldn't exist right now. It would probably be as untouchable as the scoring record or as John, maybe almost as untouchable as John Stockton's assist record. And it's crazy to think that had Jordan never walked away, maybe there wouldn't even be a greatest of all time debate. You'd always have people maybe trying to dredge something up. But it's like you said it would be kind of like talking about i don't even i don't even know what the comparison would be but let's say it would be kind of like talking about saying oh hey this season's teams they're not vying you know the cavaliers they're not really they're vying to win a championship this season but we know it's going to be the spurs or the warriors you're trying to play for second best essentially and that's what the greatest of all time conversation would have become and and that's pretty it's unfathomable. I can't even picture it. Yeah, it's tough enough to put into words just because it's it's so out there. And I mean, again, like there's still a crowd of people that refuses to to even consider the possibility that James could one day reach where Jordan currently sits, even with those retirements. Yes, and do you th- is there anyone? I mean, if we're if we're talking now, LeBron, do you think he could even catch Jordan as of now? The Jordan that the career that Jordan had, and you can try and factor in where's LeBron's career going from here. But do you think even now, with the way that stuff lies, is Jordan reachable for LeBron, who in all reality is really the best candidate we've ever had to challenge Jordan? Um, I would say that I think it is an increasingly slim possibility. Because I don't think we really foresaw this Warriors team reaching such dynastic levels, and without more titles, it's going to be impossible for James to actually reach the same level of public perception. Uh, as an individual dominant basketball player, I think that he that there is already an argument that he was as good or better as Jordan ever was at his peak. But in terms of career and perception of that career, I think that it is becoming increasingly unlikely, not only because of the Warriors, but because of the way the Cavaliers are constructed. And as they move forward, it's going to increasingly be viewed as Kyrie Irving's team or Kevin Love's team as LeBron starts to decline a little bit. And we never had, it was Scottie Pippen's team or it was Tony Kukoc's team with Jordan. It was never Horace Grant's team either. It might have been Bill Wennington's at one point. How many titles do you think LeBron would need to even sort of be on Jordan's peripherals in terms of the perception and title argument? Because I agree with you what you said about him possibly being as good, if not better, than Jordan just on an individual level. But rings are part and parcel of any GOAT conversation. And I do think there are a lot of people that LeBron could win five and they still wouldn't even consider it because it's not six. For me, it's probably four. I think that if he won the two in Miami and two in Cleveland during his prime, not as a Ray Allen ring, um, that 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 could that could push him there. I think that it's a little bit tougher to win in today's NBA 
than it was even in the 90s, which are perceived as the golden age of NBA basketball and all that. But teams are deeper. Teams are better. Uh, the strategies adapt faster. And the salary cap rules, uh, now, that the, now that the cap has boomed, it might be easier to create these super teams. Yeah, four would seem like a happy number there. I'm not as inclined, though, to dismiss any titles that LeBron might win now or in the next couple of years when he's not the number one option in Cleveland. It's a different game, and if his numbers are still there, especially in the playoffs, it wouldn't matter as much to me about status. Like, okay, cool, you know, LeBron has this help now, but Jordan had this help at a point in his career or for much of his career when LeBron didn't have during his first go-around in Cleveland. The other issue is that you're always going to have the argument that Jordan was 6 of 6 in the finals and LeBron is what 2 of 2 and 5 now. 2 and 4. Yep, as always you're right. It is uh it is 2 and 4. Um but Either way, I mean, you're, you're going to have the people that say six and six versus two and four. Um, and even if even if he wins two or three more, he's not going to have that unblemished record in the finals. Personally, I think that's stupid because he never lost in the first round, and and Jordan did. You know, so it's uh, can, it's a weird you, it's a weird argument. You can always make those nitpicky arguments, and you know, what if LeBron James gets to eight, nine, or ten? NBA Finals, and he only has three or four championships. Getting there ten times—that's pretty crazy. Oh, absolutely. Jordan only got there six. <laughs> it's it's almost like there can be more than one great team at a, and great player at a time. No, can there be? Are you sure? I'm I'm not sure actually. But I would I, even I would even argue that you know we're looking at LeBron has been to six finals by the time he's 31. And Jordan wasn't to six finals until he was 34. Yeah, there's those lost seasons there. But I would also argue that even with LeBron team hopping and, and sort of ring surfing, it's harder to get to the NBA finals now. But now that I say that, the Eastern Conference has been kind of a dud. But it was fairly competitive during his Miami Heat years. There was never really just, you always had the Pacers or the Bulls that looked like it stood in their way. It wasn't his first season back in Cleveland where you sort of knew hey, the 60-win Hawks are great, but they don't hold a candle to LeBron's Cavaliers. Yeah, and I, I think that you can look at it that way, and you can really frame this argument however you want for your own purposes when you're, when you're talking about playoff success, just because there are so many factors that go into it, and a lot of them are self-serving in the arguments. Um, with the strength of the Eastern Conference, yeah, it might be easier to get there Every, every year, but the cumulative effect is still really difficult to make it through a lesser gauntlet over and over and over and over. So, I mean, I think that he still deserves a lot of credit, like you said, for getting to all those finals. And I think those need to be a part of his legacy as well, as does his longevity. Jordan left seasons on the table, and he was able to remain healthy later on in his career, but we're looking at James right now, and I don't want to jinx anything, but He's in his 13th season, and he's never really suffered a major injury. Last year, he missed the most games of his career, and it was 13. And if he's able to just play like this and just maintain his star status without ever really going down and continuing to churn out these 2,500-minute years just like that, that has to become a part of his legacy too because the game is different. You're running at a faster pace than Jordan did. There's not as much half-court action. And even when we talk about the Cavs being slow – 
and I'm not going to know this offhanded, but it was prob- they're still probably playing at an above-average pace than when Jordan was in his prime during the late 80s, early 90s. So everything factors in. That's not to take anything away from Jordan, because if you threw Jordan in this era, I don't know what he would be. Could he be even better? I think so. Could he be worse? I also think so. But I do think he would have transitioned. We can't rule out him transitioning into this type of basketball and completely dominating, because that's the type of player he was. Even later in his career, and I don't think they really have the shot data for this, but you look at earlier in his career where he attacked the rim, and then all of a sudden he became this glorious volume mid-range shooter, and that's an adjustment he made in his career. So he was a great basketball player. There's no question he's the greatest of all time right now. I am a little bit more in favor of, or I think LeBron has a better chance of surpassing him than you do, I think, but... Again, I haven't considered like you did the Warriors. That might be the one roadblock that sort of derails uh, LeBron's attempt to ever usurp Jordan. Yeah, even when I, I last year I, I ranked the top hundred players of all time, and I had LeBron at number seven, um, and that's if he had retired right then. And even then, I thought that there was a, a serious possibility he was going to surpass Jordan. And it's crazy how quickly that's changed because of the dominance of one team in another conference. Well, guess, Stephen Curry is ruining thing. the game of basketball. Basically. I mean, we've all seen the videos of the fifth grader now. But He's before poisoning we, the youth. Before we dive too far down that rabbit hole. Bacon! Bacon! Where's the bacon? I smell bacon! 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 Gotta be bacon! Only one thing smells like bacon! That's bacon! All right, I'm going to be grabbing the bacon stick today, and I'm going to have to journey back a little bit. And it's really not journeying back because this is still going on. The New York jo- football giants coaching search is pissing me off. You get rid of a guy like Tom Coughlin who helped you win two Super Bowls, and I sort of get the need to move on, especially after these consecutive six-win seasons, but if you're going to get rid of an iconic coach who has such a good relationship with the players, with your franchise quarterback who is now in the back end of his prime, and you're going to ask him to start meshing with someone else, I would think you would have a replacement in mind. And the Giants have been bringing in everybody. There's just all these different names. None of them set the world on fire. And I think that's fine because the Giants aren't this flashy organization. And you want to trust them because they routinely do things right. But if you're going to get rid of something like that, when this team that Coughlin coached, the six-win team, was actually a six-win team, I don't get it. Unless you have someone in mind, unless you know that this is the guy Why get rid of him? And the last thing I'll say on it is people have talked a lot about the need for Coughlin to go after a season like this, given how many fourth-quarter leads the Giants blew. I I think the record they would have had if they would have held those double-digit fourth-quarter leads, they would have been like 10-6 and or something like that instead of 6-10. and This was a six-win team on paper, so the only thing Coughlin is guilty of, in my mind, is not overachieving. And that's not just enough grounds for firing again when you don't have that next guy in mind. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And the best way Coughlin could have saved his job was probably legally changing his name to Jeff Fisher because apparently that's all it takes to have a job in perpetual mediocrity. Yeah. (laughs) Jeff 500 Fisher. Yeah. Would you believe that he has won either six or seven games in each of the last five seasons he's coached? No, I wouldn't, because you try and think of the teams that he's coached, and none of them have ever been good. Yeah, four four in a row with the Rams, and then his last season with the Titans was a six-win one. It is true, and before that, he was 8-8. Eight and eight. 
He was he did make it to a Super Bowl with the Titans, though, right? He did. Uh, that pretty much made his career. And that was that all the Frank, way back in 1999. That Frank Wycheck uh, reach at the one-yard line against the Rams, ironically, yep. right? Yep, yep. Look at us. Well, that's going to do it for us. If you want to talk to us more about Michael Jordan or even LeBron James, you can get at us on Twitter as always. Andy, who is not here today because he doesn't love you guys as much as Adam and I do, you can find him at Andrew D. Bailey. Adam is at Frommel09. That's F-R-O-M-A-L-09. I myself am at Valley, F-A-V-A-L-E. And all of us can be found at Hardwood Knox. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen. Shout out Bino Udry. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.